whereby we can gather together and seek true wellness, a holistic wellness uh, in body, in mind, and in spirit. First, I want to say thank you to our wonderful band. They've come down from Raymond Terrace today. So thank you so much, guys. You've blessed us tonight. Thank you so much. It's been great to, uh, to start off our night uh, with some praise. I'm going to simply uh, open our, our evening uh, tonight in prayer, and then I'm going to uh, hand over to Renee and the team. Church, let's pray. Loving Lord, creator of all that is, our, our maker, our sustainer, our redeemer, we come before you this evening with tremendous praise and thanksgiving. We praise you that you are a mighty God, a good God. You created each of us, Father, fearfully and wonderfully made. You've created us, Father. You stitched us together in our mother's womb, Lord. Each of us precious, each of us unique, each of us uniquely gifted to build up the body of Christ. Father, we thank you for placing us here at this time in this, this piece of history, this phase of history, this, this wonderfully interconnected world where we are so very blessed, Father, to be the beneficiaries of marvellous medical care, Lord. You've gifted us with experts in every field of endeavour. We are mightily to bless in this place, in this time. So thank you, Father. We say thank you most of all for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into our world. We confess that this is a broken world, a hurting world. And Father, we are part of that brokenness, so we confess our part in the brokenness, in the pain that is part of our lives in this in-between time between Christ's first and second coming. Tonight, Father, we seek healing. We look to you. We look to those who you've blessed with tremendous knowledge and experience and wisdom. We pray that you might be using tonight to bring about healing, to bring about wholeness, and to bring about your peace, the peace that the world cannot give. Reconciliation, Father. Reconciliation with this broken and hurting creation back into right relationship with itself and right relationship with you, Lord. Come and use this time this evening to your glory. And all the people said, Amen. Thank you, Renee. Good evening. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. You know, I just feel so blessed this evening to be able to use your heart of somebody like this. It's part of this Yeah. 
couldn't get to our friends, we couldn't meet with our friends. And, um, you know, that people struggle with that. And so I just wanted to bring this topic here in a Christian environment and just kind of touch on it a little bit more. The kids are struggling, and so I'm so blessed to have we're so blessed to have people to come here and talk to us this evening and, and tell us, talk about us from their expertise, their experiences. And so we're going to sit back and we're going to listen to these wonderful speakers. And then we're going to have a time of Q&A. So the first person I'd like to introduce is, wait, Alan has given me his glasses because I could not find mine. I can't see you out there, but I can see here. Mrs. Carly Chapman. Carly loves her role as a mother of four teenagers, the minister's wife and primary educator <laughs> focusing on special education. She has worked for the last 20 years in the public, independent and Catholic sectors, and has also led youth groups and kids' clubs during, this, during that time, Carly is passionate about helping others to see their worth in Christ and enjoy sharing time with friends and family. We love having her here as our first lady of CMT. <laughs> uh, and I told her I was going to use that because that's how we call the minister's wives in the South, first ladies. And she is absolutely a lady that we absolutely love, and we're so blessed to have her. So, Carly, you want to come on up and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I just move that. That's not mine. Oh, thank you, Renee. And thank you. Um, for this opportunity to share tonight. Um, I need to say from the start, I am not an expert in mental health. Is that sound all right for everyone? Never worn one of these. I feel like Britney Spears right now. <laughs> um, I'm not an expert in mental health, but my experience lies in teaching in, as Renee has said, in the primary classroom, in a special education over the last 20 years. And my most eye-opening role in life as a mother of four children who at the moment are aged between 13 and 20. So please pray for my soul. 
Um, so tonight, I, Renee just asked me to share a little bit of my experience in the last two years in, in my role as a teacher and my role as a mother of teenagers. And I don't profess to have any too many statistics or data, but I have seen really significant challenges for our young children and our teens upon their mental health over the past two years. You know, in the past two years, I, I went from 45 to 47. And it's, it's not a really big milestone in life. I'm pretty much the same at 45 as I am at 47. A few more grey hairs and a few more wrinkles, that's it. But for our, my own children, in the past two years, they went from 11 to 13, 15 to 17. And the ones that I teach went from 5 to 7 and 8 to 10. And I think these are really significant life stages. And you just don't get your childhood, your adolescent or your high school years back. I first just want to talk about the youngest amongst us, our toddlers and our primary children that I've had the privilege of teaching. And for many of them, the last two years is not over even now. Classrooms at the moment are more disrupted by the flu in terms of absences than COVID ever did. Parents are very afraid to send their children to school even with the slightest sniffle and so absences remain really high. Schools have got attendance targets and at the moment only 12% of schools in New South Wales are on track to meet those targets. So this is now the third year of disrupted learning upon a three-year-old, a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, our primary school setting. And as we all know, these past two years have taken away from our children things that really matter to them. Their routine of school, the stability and certainty that school brings. You know, for many kids, staying home all day was really stressful or even dangerous. Friends and learning how to make friends. Exercising with your friends. My teenage boys were not even allowed to go and play on a field with their friends for a certain time. Social interactions, sport, joining a team, celebrating a birthday, seeing relatives that lived in another state, the start of kindergarten, parents being able to come into their classroom or even their school. So for kindergarten students that started two years ago, their parents have never been into their classroom yet. I don't know if you remember with, with kindergartners, I'm sure you were on canteen duty and you went in the room and helped with reading. Uh, my school has only just had parents returning this term to school. They have not been at any assemblies, but they're allowed to pick up their students outside their classrooms. And so it's really significant for a little tiny toddler Learning on Zoom and home learning didn't really work for anyone. Certainly teachers never signed up for it. We tried to do both online and in person and I didn't do either of them well. I read recently of a wonderful study uh, by the producers of Sesame Street back in the early days, a long time ago, and they found that if children couldn't make sense of what they were watching, if it was too confusing or distracting, they just didn't keep watching, no matter how fun Sesame Street tried to make it. If it was confusing, 
and too much going on, the children disengaged. And we as teachers found that on Zoom, learn on Zoom learning too. No matter how much we dressed up, no matter how fun we made it and colourful and engaging, students just disengaged. And as a result of all of these factors, I think kids are struggling to return now to normal. We've noticed as teachers at school that social interactions are needing to be retaught. How do I play properly? How do I solve conflict? How do I show affection? Am I allowed to hug someone? Am I allowed to sit close to someone? I've heard many times in the playground and the classroom students say, don't come near me, you might have COVID. That's so scary to hear that from a young child. Young students are less engaged on the whole. They're more distracted, they're more disobedient and they're very unsettled in their friendships as a result of the last two years. And I wonder what long-lasting effects that this will have upon their lives. Uh, the educational effects, we've seen uh, huge developmental delays as students have started to come back. Delays in their reading, their speaking and listening skills and certainly in speech delays. It's not that parents didn't do a great job at home, but speech pathologists at the moment tell me that they are overwhelmed by young children who haven't learnt the patterns of conversation because of our mask wearing. It's a huge problem for our young kids who have not been able to see faces to make con connections. You know, God made our faces for a reason. They convey so much of how we communicate and how we speak. And to not have seen that for the past two years is really detrimental to our tiny little ones. Even the border wars and the dobbing in someone who was breaking the lockdown curfews, we teachers believe this is rubbed off on children. Dobbing or telling on someone at school has increased exponentially. He sneezed near me, he looked at me, he sat too close to me, she's too close to me. You know, our society encouraged a culture of, of dobbing in people and why wouldn't our children just follow suit? And so we are actually being trained ourselves as teachers in how to teach children not to dob. Didn't think I'd actually ever be doing that. So I, I just believe what happens to you in your childhood, especially those young toddler years and early primary school years, they have a long tail. Uh, and my prayer is that these youngest children will now be able to live and celebrate life as they should, do all of those wonderful milestones. I've also got four teenagers. Well, one just turned, she's down here, she just turned 20. So I now only have three teenagers and a 20-year-old. And they really craved, I think, in, in the last two years, normalcy, but mostly social interaction. Again, they've had challenges by missing the milestones like formals, 18th birthdays, learning how to be an adult, those rites of passage that we had, like a gap year or travelling the world. Many parents have shared with me that their children are nervous to travel rather than courageous. You know, what if I get stuck in another country and there's a lockdown? I wonder how this will affect our teenagers, whether they will travel at all or whether they'll leave it till later. And these rites of passage, you would know they're, they're essential to our growth, aren't they? Whether they go wrong or not, 
They're essential to our growth. Uh, university degree. Well, a university degree without the social life is not a university degree, right? We all attended university for the social side of it. But universities are still not back, not all of them are back having lectures and tutorials in person, even now. So our, our young, our older teenagers and our early 20s are missing out on that social side as well. Um, obviously social media, we all know that, it increased while the kids were sitting at home in their room all day online learning and this has led to particularly two particular things, a lack of sleep and addictive behaviours and mostly this has been upon our teenage girls. Um, I believe girls are more negatively impacted by social media. Young women who, who might be naturally insecure, as we all are at 16 and 18, uh, they're comparing themselves to others and to celebrities online. And I think this has always been the case, but the last two years has just made it so much more so. And these young girls have this destructive view. I wonder if they'll have it for the rest of their lives, how they view themselves because of what is online. Now, I'm sure you've heard of Instagram and TikTok and you know that there are filters now. So you can take a photo of yourself and then you can put a filter on it. And there are some fun filters. You can make yourself very old or you can make yourself like a baby. Now, that's quite fun but you can actually create a new reality of yourself. You can take a photo of yourself and think, well, actually, I'd, I'd quite like to have, you know, a smaller nose, or I'd like to be more tanned, or I'd like to have, you know, bigger eyes, or I'd like to have bigger lips. Um, and so I, I did a little, quick little filter on Instagram, or my son helped me. So, James, are you able to put up the really attractive first photo of me, if that's all right? That's all right. So when you do these filters on Instagram, it will tell other people who look at it, it will say, this is a filter. But when you do it on TikTok, there's nothing to say that this is a filter. So these young girls are making new realities for themselves and sending them out to the world, and there's nothing to say that it's not true. And they're, they're so clever that they actually look real. We got it yet? Hang on a minute, that's all right. So I think that when you love what you look like, you make a new filter for yourself and you... Wait, it's a really bad shot, so don't be scared when it comes up. Yeah, great, that shot. So that was just a photo of me. And then I got my son to put a filter on it, and if you'd like to have a look. That is me with a filter on it. Now, I know that's very unattractive, but... Let me tell you, that looks quite similar to a lot of the influencers that are influencing our young girls. Huge big lips, makeup everywhere, I've got no, hardly any wrinkles everywhere, it doesn't actually look like me. But the problem becomes, when I put that online and I think that's what I look like, and then I look in the mirror each morning and I don't actually look like that at all, so my virtual self, I would prefer that over my real life. And that's so affecting young girls' mental health. Um, it, and this obsessiveness with 
what we look like has led to a really huge rise in narcissistic traits in our young girls, focusing on ourselves too much. I think it's a tendency for all of us, but this online addiction has mean that girls are really becoming burdened with being narcissistic. It's become heavy upon them. You know, they keep thinking, I'm misunderstood, no one gets me, the reason I'm sad, the reason I have all these problems is because I don't love myself enough. If I just loved myself more, if I had more self-confidence, if I had more self-esteem, if I just told myself every morning how awesome I am, I'd be able to get out of this rut. And it's so very sad, isn't it, that our young girls think like that. It's producing this obsessive compulsive nature that prevents girls from being generous and being outward focused. And this philosophy to teenage girls has been pushed by the education uh, not just the last couple of years, maybe I felt it the last 10 years. You just need to love yourself more. And it's not working. It's just been made greater by the pandemic, but it's not working. Throw in teaching that the world is going to end in a few years due to climate change. Whatever your views are on climate change, if you're constantly tell, being told that the world is going to end, it's a recipe for disaster for a young person's mental health. Suicide rates and negative mental health is sharply on the rise for our young people. My own children have had four friends who have ended their lives due to the despair that they feel. God's heart must be breaking, mustn't it? So maybe, just maybe, we are teaching our teenage kids to think about themselves too much. You know, as followers of Jesus... Our lives have always been shaped by helping and serving others, hasn't it? And so part of the solution I see for all age children is to focus on somebody else. I read a great line this week that said, serving never gets old. And so my encouragement to the young children that I teach and to my own children is to maybe volunteer somewhere, take a meal to someone, Find out who's lonely in their peer group and help them. Get involved in something at their school and help others and take our eyes off ourselves. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ offers something bigger and better than superficial self-help that we find online. The gospel offers self-denial rather than self-obsession. And it's so liberating that I can't fix my own problems I am not good enough, I will never be good enough, and that is okay. You know, Jesus is the only one that can make me good enough, and he has done it all on the cross for each one of our young people. So let's be earnestly praying for the young people in your life that you know, the young people in our church, the young people out there, that they may know their worth in Christ and Christ alone, and that it would set them free. Teenage boys are also increasingly showing mental health issues too. They desperately need social interaction. To not allow them to play sport for the last couple of years has been terrible, I believe. I've been told that's the way boys sort stuff out. They kick a ball around. They run around a field. They wrestle. And our teenage boys need mentors to show them how to take on life courageously and most importantly, fearlessly. 
to not being afraid to venture outside. So I know all of this is, might be a bit of doom and gloom and I know there have been pockets of goodness for our young people in the past two years. And God is a God of purpose and plan and he'll use these past two years, I believe, to prosper and flourish our young people. I love Isaiah 55 verse 9. My ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. We may not be able to make sense of the past two years. We might fear for our young people, but God sees them. He desperately loves them and he wants them to live lives without fear and with purpose. So let's be praying for that for them. Thank you. Thank you, First Lady Carly. My, my pleasure. After you, Madam. That have First Lady's curtsy. <laughs> Another round of applause for First Lady Carly. Thank you so much, Carly, for sh enlightening us on that. Now, this next person is going to come. We're going to change it up a little bit because we know, well, I know, that a lot of us adults don't tend to talk a lot, especially men. They kind of keep everything inside and, you know, just... I'm the man and I'm going to just, you know, handle it. And uh, so this next person, uh, we worked together and uh, he was telling me his story, a little bit about his story. And uh, I was like, hmm, I think I'm going to a ask Vic to come out and, and talk to us a little bit. And so I'm going to let him tell you about himself he knows who he is, I, he can tell you. And uh, so I'm just really pleased that he's come all the way from Central Coast to here to tell us a little bit about his journey through these last two to three years and yeah. Okay, so Mr. Vic Keenan, thank you. Okay, can, sounds all right, I think. Um, it's funny, I, I, I haven't got notes, so this could go anywhere, but God knows where it's going to go. We serve a good God, a great God, a loving God. Um, so uh, just a couple of things that um, uh, you touched on with self-identity and, and knowing who you are. Um, I'm not a health expert or anything like that, but um, I did study some counselling sort of things when I was at college. And there was a thing called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it was about, you know, shelter and food and things like that. And then, you know, you climb to the top and when you get old, you work out, you know, who you actually are. But we know who we are in Christ, don't we? It's better to know where we start as, as a young person, that we're created in Christ Jesus, we're, you know, his children, we're, you know, and we've got a purpose. And then we can go on and, and make something in our lives. We don't have to get to the climb the ladder and find out we've climbed the long, wrong ladder, do we? You know, we've, um, so we've got a good start and that's, that's um, I think, a starting point for young people, isn't it? And unfortunately, we're pushing God out of the world, aren't we? Um, truth is not truth anymore. You know, boys aren't boys and girls aren't girls. But there's a little bit of pushback coming with that. But that's a whole other topic. Um, so my story. Um, 2020 January um, is just before the pandemic hit. Uh, I moved to the Central Coast on the 3rd of January, moved into a, a townhouse. 
Um, the 8th of January, I started working for Triple C Camps, uh, which is, was Camp Tookley at the time. Um, the 18th of January, uh, my divorce was finalised. And on the 28th of January, my father passed away. So that wasn't a, wasn't a good month. Um, and the three years prior to that were probably the worst three years of my life as well. Um, obviously, a marriage breakdown was happening. My father was travelling through three years of dementia. Um, he was diagnosed within three years. That would be the longevity of his, his illness. Um, and uh, I think it was the 14th of March, we had a full camp. We had a campsite that we had a group come in on the Monday. I think the news was coming out on that day and that camp stayed, but within, by the next day, all our camps had been cancelled for months. So we had no work. Um, the next week we were called in, we've got no work, we've got to lay everyone off. So no job, new area, locked in a house by myself. And this, this big journey of grief and brokenness. Um, I suppose, um, I was talking to David earlier on and um, a lot of children suffer grief today but it, it, it comes out, you know, I think you mentioned seven years later, you know, PTSD can come out. But I, I think with men, um, you, you take the war years, men suffered a lot of trauma in the war and they never dealt with it, you know, they never had anyone to talk to. Um, luckily now it's becoming more um, acceptable for, for men particularly and um, to talk about their, their mental illnesses uh, was, was a very taboo subject and um, not really talked about. And I suppose that's my journey. I had a, a traumatic childhood and that was buried until all this stuff started happening in the last few years. Um, the isolation has allowed me to, I suppose you can go one or two ways. You can blame God and, and you know, maybe become an alcoholic or whatever or, you know, crash your car into a truck and a lot of men do that. Men are very high on the, the uh, suicide rates and not only old, older men, younger men. Um, I'm told that there's a lot of trade, young tradespeople that are taking their lives because the pressure, you know, there's pressure there to run a business and all this stuff. Um, so uh, it's given me the opportunity to, uh, I didn't turn away from God, I, I sort of pressed into God and... Um, it was funny, I was, you know, isolated in a house, but I, 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 um, I worked in sales for a lot of years and then I was saved at 40. Um, had a lot of things that I had unforgiveness towards people, towards my parents particularly, um, for the childhood that I'd, I'd, uh, I'd had. And I'd hurt a lot of people, not intentionally, but when you don't care about yourself and, um, you know, you don't, you do things that, inadvertently hurt the people you love. So, um, and it was a five-year journey to walk into a church when I was 40 and I heard the message on Palm Sunday of, you know, Christ dying for my sins and that was like, that's all I needed to hear. I was so ready for that forgiveness. It wasn't a head decision, it was just like a bolt of lightning come from the altar and, and I was a changed person. So, you know, God promises that he'll give us a heart of flesh from the heart of stone we have, you know, and... Um, but I still had that brokenness and it's taken me 20 years or so to start to process that. Um, the, the online thing, um, I'd moved around a bit with work and things and I was able to tap into different churches I'd been to and connect with people on Zoom. No one heard of Zoom about four years ago, did they? It was like, Zoom, what's that? 
but everyone knows about it now and we've probably done a thousand Zoom meetings and probably everyone's pretty much sick of it. But, um, um, and I ended up where I had nowhere to live. I basically had a bag of clothes and the church I was going to up in Coffs Harbour, um, they were connected to a, a drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre. I've got to watch the time too. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, you, you're able to volunteer. So I went out there and it's a, it's a working farm. Um, the, the client, they call them seekers, not clients. They do 20 hours work and then 20 hours of program. And um, the volunteers, it's, no one's paid. Um, so I said, I'll, I'll come out and work for you for a couple of weeks. And that couple of weeks turned into 10 months. And it was, it was like a rehabilitation for me too. Um, a, lot of, a lot of learning um, uh, there. And I think God put great people around me. You know, It was a Christian organisation. When I was at my worst, people would come around and pray and all those sort of things. So God is a good God. You know? He journeys with us. Um, uh, I've just, they done a course called... Um, should have written this down, shouldn't I? <laughs> I'm just, uh, it's an American course uh, about how to be a, a godly man. Um, and I've, I've just started doing some other courses. Um, I've had some great Christian counsellors uh, that have come into my life, some mentors. There's, there's a group called Mentoring Men, which was started by um, some Christians from up at Thornley, the Baptist Church in Thornley, and that's explore for someone else. Um, they do all sorts of all sorts of other things around men's mental health and all sorts of things. Uh, Dr. Alan uh, Myers and his wife, um, Careforce Life Keys. They've got about a dozen different programs that have run within, um, have been developed over 20 odd years of, of his ministry. Um, and I've done a couple of those courses. Um, one called Valiant Man, which looks at addiction and why we do the things we do. A lot of brain chemistry and how our brain works and a lot of men know there's something wrong, but they just don't understand what's going on, you know. Um, so, you know, they put up walls and retreat or the things that men do. Um, and I'm, I'm just completing one called Man on Man. And these are online. So we have a workbook. Um, we have a tutorial online. And then on a Saturday morning at 7.30, about 15 guys get together and share about what we're learning about each week. And they're unpacking all different sorts of... Um, uh, subjects, you know, from anger, grief, you know, like 10 subjects in each course. So uh, that can identify, and just listening to other guys share their story, you go, well, that, that's sort of what I've been struggling with, and then you, you've got somewhere to work, you know, with a counsellor or, or whatever. So there is help out there, and it's, it's from, a, from a God-centred perspective, you know, there's scripture woven into, you know, there's, a, I, know, I don't know how many stories in the Bible, but let's say a million stories in the Bible, and they all, they're all there to to show us, you know, how to live, show us something, isn't it? Yeah. They're not there just, you know, like nice bedtime stories of a night. Um, uh, I'm reading a book about David, you know, and um, uh, at the moment, and, you know, look at his life. <laughs> it was up and down, he'd he, he done good things, he'd done bad things, he, he had depression, he had all that stuff, and, you know, we can take lessons out of that, and that's why it's there, it's, it's for us to, to learn, so... Um, so I'm on a journey. Um, I love God. The, 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 the trauma and the, and the grief and everything, I suppose when I first felt the grief, I understood how Christ and God must feel about how he grieves about his, his children, you know. Like, there's, there's so many people that are lost and, and are not going to spend eternity with him, you know. And 
God and Greece for that stuff. Um, so I had an understanding of that. I, um, and I suppose I'm, I'm on this journey still. I'm still dealing with grief and probably rejection and, and probably a multitude of other things. But um, uh, I'll throw in a dad joke here. I probably should have started with that. <laughs> How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? And, uh, well, the light bulb's got to want to be changed, you know. <laughs> so, so, so it, it uh, you know, there's some point in, in your life, and, and my life, I suppose, and, and my ex-wife, we, we both come from broken homes and, and traumatic childhoods, and, and unfortunately that sort of led to the breakup of our marriage. But um, um, yeah, we've we, we done the best we could but we didn't really know what was wrong. And, um, and I suppose that was my, you know, tried to be a good father. I was, I was strict on my kids because I sort of went off the rails a bit. And sometimes I said I was too strict, but they thank me now that they're all living good lives and good jobs and families and things. Um, but there's, how much do we want, how much do we want this? You know, we can be a Christian, but we can still have all that stuff in our life that's not dealt with. And, um, you know, everyone's on a, Everyone's an expert in their own trauma, aren't they? Their own journey, their own grief. And if you haven't had any grief yet, you know, it's going to come one day. <laughs> um, you know, um, so, um, yeah, that's my story. And I just hope that something I've said has, um, you know, has helped someone tonight. Um, yeah, there is help out there. There's good Christian help out there. There's good Christian counsellors, psychologists. Uh, there's programs that are being implemented in churches. And, um, you know, what... What better thing a church can do is and help the people, you know. We can sing songs and we can hear a bit of preaching, but there's just as much divorce in the church, there's just as much, you know, domestic violence in the church as, as outside the church, and we need to start building those recovery centres, you know. We need to be the recovery centre for the world, you know. We've got something that we can offer you that, that the world can't, you know. Um, so anyway, that's my story, and uh, thanks for listening. for uh, sharing that with us. Um, yeah, so thank you. We really appreciate you sharing and being brave enough to tell your story. Um, we all have stories. And uh, the one thing I know is that when I'm struggling, uh, I know who I can turn to, and that's Jesus. And I just, sometimes I look at people who don't know who God is, and I wonder, you know, with all the struggles in the world, how do you do it? How do you get through a day without knowing who Jesus is? And if nothing else, if somebody's watching during this live stream and they hear these stories they, they, and they just know that you can come as you are, you don't have to fix yourself before you, before you come to him, you just have to be willing to do it because I'm telling you, this is the best relationship I've ever been in with Jesus Christ. I get excited about him. I'm so in love with him, and I love talking about him. So I just hope that whoever's out there and listening to this this evening, and if you're feeling like there's nowhere to go or you just want to give up, don't give up. 
You don't have to give up. Because I love you. I don't have to know you. So imagine the love that Jesus has, and he knows you. He knows exactly who you are. So if you're struggling this evening, talk to somebody. And if you walk in past and you're in a bad mood, smile at somebody, because you don't know what that smile might do in somebody's life. You just don't know. I have really bad days, and I tell my reps, you know, even if you're struggling, when you pick up that phone and you say CCC camps, you put on a smile because it's going to translate over that phone because you don't know who's on the other end. You don't know who during COVID had to watch their parents being buried via video or had to watch their siblings be buried via video because we were in lockdown. You don't know what uh, that person went to the doctor and was diagnosed with. You don't know. So a smile goes a long way. And as Christians, we're supposed to, we're called to be able to show people love that you don't even know. And I've just been so blessed to hear it. And now I'm honored to bring to you Dr. David Goodwin. And if you've never heard of Kids Reach, uh, it is a wonderful organization. And I'm going to let Dr. David come up here and tell you all about it. Uh, and then after that, these three people are going to come and sit on the panel, and we're going to have a Q&A. But we're going to leave you with Dr. David, and he's going to tell you his, tell you about what he's going to tell you about. I don't know. Let's be a surprise, but it's going to be good stuff. Dr. David got good one. Thank you. Oh, good evening. And thank you so much, Kylie and Victor. Amazing stories and amazing um, information that you've given us. Thank you. Now, I need three volunteers to come and just... Uh, Pass some things out for me. Now the rule is when you get the envelope, you must not open it. Okay? Please don't open the envelope. And don't worry, I'm not expecting a donation in the envelope. Thanks. James there? I need a password, sorry. <laughs> can you, can you? <laughs> you could do it by sign language, perhaps. Um, you'll notice that I have a few resources out the front. I just want to share with you about one particular resource. It's called At the Foot of the Cross, A Journey from Shame to Honor. This particular book 
is written, it's an adult book, it's not to be shared with children, but it's, um, it's for those who've been suffered from sexual abuse as a, as a child, or any form of abuse. Um, many of us have come to know the Lord, but we, you know, we know that Jesus took our sin, and he took our shame, and he took our, our sickness at the cross, but we, we still are not free from the hurt that we suffered as a child. But uh, that's not what God wants for you. He wants you to be free. And this book comes out of years of counselling. I found, I found that as you... Yeah, I use professional methods and techniques in counselling, but the, it's all centred around the cross. Everything is at the cross. And uh, this is what this book's about. It's not a book you just read in one sitting. You read it chapter by chapter. Allow God to take you on that journey uh, of total healing. So, so please, if, if you know someone that needs it or you yourself have been through that and you would like total freedom, please, uh, these are just $5, but if you can't afford the $5, I'd rather give you the book than to think that you went home without it. So please um, see us if that uh, could be a help to you. Okay. Great. Thanks. I'm going to play you just a little video clip that we put together. Maybe James is going to play it for us. Do you need to stand up for a minute? Yeah, why don't you just stand up and say hello to someone? Uh, just to give yourself a little bit of exercise. Oh, I've spoken to y'all already. Oh, hello. hey. How are you? I'm good. Hey, Paul. Yeah, he knows. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak
the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus on the mountains and Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my some of those with us tonight. Um, one of the things that we, we've discovered as we see in research um, is that kids can seemingly go through events like we've been through the last couple of years um, and they seem to be okay. Um, like for example in the Christchurch earthquakes which happened about 10 years ago. Um, but kids that seemingly went through it okay, seven years later, five years later, suddenly these teenagers are showing signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. And, and so we must be really careful. And although I'm going to share, my, my focus is very much children and families, um, I know that we've all got nephews and nieces and grandchildren and children uh, that we are really, really concerned about. And so we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be less than diligent in our, uh, the way we care for our kids. Um, so earlier this year, as I was just uh, seeking God, God really impressed on my heart that we needed to do something for our Christian kids. Um, a lot of resources out there in the world, but what about our Christian kids who, who um, really need something during these times? And God impressed on my heart to write a curriculum which we've called HOPE, and, and in this curriculum, um, we uh, want to really instill into kids' lives this hope that God has given us. Hope, the Christian definition of hope, is not a verb. It's not something you try and do. 
uh, try and have more hope. Like, it's not even like, like wishing that you would have something. It's actually a noun. It's something that God gives you. It's something that you have. It's like an anchor. And anchors, of course, have been around for a long time. Um, right from the earliest sailing ships, um, when they used to tie a bit of a rock to a rope and they'd throw it down and it would be an anchor, it would embed itself in the sea, seabed and, and hold the ship steady. Um, today we still have very, very similar, they've been developed a bit, but very similar uh, operation where sh great sailing ships put this, this uh, anchor down and it, it steadies the ship, it holds the ship. That's what the Bible talks about when it talks about the hope that we have. And when kids lose hope, when they don't have hope, they give up. 3,000 kids today in New South Wales just disappeared from our schooling. 3,000 kids that were going to school never came back after the, the lockdown finished. And, and nobody knows. Nobody knows where they went. They're just gone. What about the kids, even there sitting in our churches and in our Christian families? And so I, I wrote this curriculum, and, and it's freely available, um, not just for churches to use. It's, it's all on here. It's not just for churches to use, but it's for families to use also. Um, I really felt that we should just make it absolutely free. All you've got to do is download it from the website, and it's there along with all the PowerPoints and everything there. So you, you could really help us if you've got friends and other churches also. Um, you might be able to just pass this on and say they can use that uh, totally free. Um, it's, it's to bless the kids who are really struggling in our churches. Now, in 2004, there was um, a terrible tsunami that affected at least 13 different countries in a major way. It became known as the Asian tsunami. And uh, um, as a ministry, Kids Reach, we reach out into different countries and one of the countries that we have done a lot of work in uh, has been Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka was the second worst country affected in, in terms of people that were displaced and people that died. Um, in total, the Asian tsunami has been the, great, the largest catastrophe of our generation uh, in terms of loss of life and the, the effect it's had on the number of people. And so it, it, it happened... Um, on the day after Christmas, my, uh, myself and my wife, we, we were preparing to go on holiday. We have six children. And so we were preparing to go away. And, and suddenly this hit, and I started to hear these stories about what, um, what had happened. In particular, my heart went out to Sri Lanka. And so I, I had to say to my family, I think we've got to cancel our holiday. And I prepared to go to Sri Lanka and work with our team over there. And, and I had to think, well, what could I do? I'm sure that there will be thousands of people will go and, and they'll distribute food and they'll do all sorts of things. But what is it that God that I can do? And because I have counseling experience, I really felt that that would be the focus uh, on, on helping kids that could, be, uh, could suffer potential trauma throughout their whole life. Maybe we could do something and God really... Um, impressed on me to write a little program and, and it became a 10-step program to help kids process these traumatic events. Um, 
You see, statistics tell us that when kids go through a trauma, it might be a, a sexual abuse, it might be a, a, a national calamity, 25% of these kids are going to grow up and need professional help, possibly for the rest of their life. And uh, that's just the statistic, statistic. If, however, those kids are already in a, could we call it a crisis situation, a traumatic situation, that number, that figure doubles to 50%. That, they are exactly the figures that came out in research that was done after the Christchurch earthquake. Uh, uh, it, I've looked at various situations around the world. It's a very consistent figure. So what that means is, say, if, if, um, if, if in this, this, uh, the lockdowns that we've experienced, and it's not just the lockdowns, as, as Kylie has really pointed, there's been so much more that's happened that the whole climate change has, has such a is having such a, an effect on kids' well-being um, that, that that in itself is a, a major event. Then you've got the Ukraine war, then we've had the floods, then we've had the drought before that, we had the mass plague. It's like th there's been so much and it seems to be that it's never ending. And uh, almost every day we're getting stories from the Ukraine about what's happening over there and, and the effect that that's happening on our kids. Now, this is... Crisis on top of crisis, on top of crisis. So like in, in, in Christchurch, for example, you found that kids who um, were living in a home where there was domestic violence um, or a dysfunctional family, they were twice as likely going through the earthquake to be needing help in the, in the future, possibly for the rest of their life because a large percentage of adults that have um, uh, uh, anxiety disorders uh, started before they were 14 years of age. So major, major um, e effect on an adult life for the rest of their life is, is starts when they're kids. And the, all the statistics that you saw on that little video clip um, were all pre-pandemic. -pre -pre and so um, we, we are in a crisis situation for our kids. So anyway, coming back to the Asian tsunami in, Christ, in, in 2004, um, uh, within 14 days of, of the tsunami happening, I had written a little 10-step program. We translated it into two different languages, um, Tamil and Singhala, the two main languages spoken in Sri Lanka. We had 10,000 copies of this program printed and I was on my way to Sri Lanka. And the aim was then to, to, um, uh, to, to train workers. And so it, it wasn't a counselling program, it was like a trauma prevention program so that these kids wouldn't have to suffer like this for the rest of their life. And so... Um, we, we actually ended up training 550. We did major seminars in the major centres um, and we trained 550 workers and then we spent the next year taking those workers throughout the affected areas where we, we went into the camps where children were um, living because they'd lost their homes, they'd lost their family members and we saw such tragic 
tragic situations. Um, and uh, we basically did, in each camp we went and we did a three-hour program. The first hour, we just played with the kids. We, we would take in a big bag full of balls and cricket bats and all that sort of thing, and we just played with the kids. And it was just, that was just such an amazing time to see maybe 100 kids in that camp or 150 kids in that camp laughing and, and enjoying themselves. And, and that's one of the things that we wanted to do, is bring back some, something that was normal, something that kids love to do. And again, Kylie mentioned the importance of kids in play. And it just surprised us so much that, that in all those camps, there wasn't one ball, there wasn't one cricket bat. We always left a bag full at each camp. Um, and, and we looked at the, the people that were running the camps, and they, they were just amazed that, to see these kids actually playing like that. The second hour, we took them into and we had like a, a bit of a meeting where we, we um, got the kids to get up and share their experiences. And uh, some of the kids had written some stuff out, some little poems, some little songs, some, some little letters. I remember one little girl, she, she wrote this letter. She wrote it to her five-year-old brother who had perished in the tsunami. And she talked in this letter about how they'd bought his school bag and his little lunchbox and bought this and that. And they were all ready. She had a sister, an older sister, and how the, they were looking forward to the three of them walking to school together. But now he was gone. And, and there were many, many stories like that. The next thing we did was we gave them a Kids Keep Safe program because in these sort of camps... Um, unfortunately, you get lots of pedophiles come in and they go in, in in the guise of being aid workers and nobody questions them. And they have access to these kids. It's, it's, so we, we taught them how to look after themselves, not just from that um, angle, but also what happens when they get a cut and, and how they're living in very unhygienic situations. So we, we taught them how to keep themselves clean and all that sort of thing. And then we did a puppet show. And this puppet show was a little script that I'd written myself. And it was very simple. If, if you remember the old Punch and Judy type, type um, puppet show, that's what it was really. And it was two puppets. One was Bunty and uh, the, the other puppet. Um, and uh, she wanted to play with Bunty. But Bunty didn't want to play. And so it ended up please play with me, but Bunty ended up yelling and screaming at the other puppet because she didn't want to play. And of course, it, it, uh, um, uh, it, it really, um, that sort of humour, the kids really laughed and they laughed. And uh, then the puppeteer came from behind the puppet's screen and he spoke to the kids and said, what's wrong with Bunty? What's, why doesn't Bunty want to play? And then the kids gave various ideas. Anyway, the puppeteer then went back and continued the script for a bit. This time, the word water and flood, tsunami, came up uh, in, as Bunty was yelling at the other puppet. This second time, the uh, puppeteer came out and asked the kids, now do you know? And of course, they all knew it was to do with the floods. And so we said to the, to, or, or the puppeteer said, we... We need to cheer 
punty up, don't we? And so, again, I had written a little song uh, set to a very familiar tune, and it all had to be translated into their language, so it was all, it was a bit of a, 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 a team uh, effort by the time we got it right. But it was a simple little song about Sri Lanka has been through a difficult time, and we've had hard things happen, etc., etc. But we are a strong nation, and we're going to get through this, and we're going to rise above it. And so the, the kids then simply uh, learnt the song because they already knew the tune. And they, with the puppeteer's guidance and, and our team that helped, the, the kids sung the song to Bunty. And now Bunty was happy and Bunty was able to, to um, play. And it's, Kylie mentioned a little bit about building resilience in kids. One of the things to do, or in anybody, is to actually start to help others. Because that's the way our, our, our brain works. Um, that if we, um, you know, we may be down in the dumps about ourselves and we may even be suffering depression because, you know, we're in a, we're in a hard situation, we're in a bad situation, and is there any hope for us? But then you go and you see an opportunity where you can minister to someone else, it changes the neural pathways in your brain. It, it, actually, it, it actually changes your thinking. My life can't be so bad if I can help someone else. And, and I, th I remember a little, a little a mother that came to see me about her little five-year-old son. They'd been through domestic violence was a major problem in the marriage. And after two years of domestic violence, this woman, she separated from her husband, uh, really for the protection of the boy. But this boy was five years of age, was in a state of depression, Every time mum wanted to do something positive, he would say, I don't want to do that because dad won't be there. Uh, we won't have a birthday this year because dad won't be there. We, we won't have a Christmas tree because dad won't be there. Everything positive she tried to do, he always turned it to the negative. This is at five years of age. And so one of the, I mean, obviously I talked to her about some strategies, but uh, one of the things I said to her is that, okay, why don't you find someone in your church, maybe a, a, an elderly person that can't get out of the home or somebody else, that you and your son can work together as a project to help that person where you could make some biscuits. And then you both go around and actually put into this kid's mind that there are people we can help. And it changes their thinking. It's a well-known technique to build resilience. And, of course, as a church... We know how important that is um, to, to be involved in ministry. We're not just in a church to be ministered to, but we are involved as part of the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. Uh, we are outward-looking, not inward-looking. So uh, then um, uh, the third hour, that was our second hour, uh, the third hour in our three-hour program was that we using the workers that we had trained, we went into little groups, hopefully with two or three or four or five kids per one leader. And we took them through the same program that I've given you um, today, call it, call it Feelings Are Okay. Now, of course, this 2004 is a long time ago. Um, 
uh, the program has been developed and changed, but we've actually used this program in various countries um, uh, it, it, it's, um, in different formats, um, and uh, it, it's developed, and whereas the one we did in Sri Lanka was very much based around the tsunami, this is sort of like a more generic version of it, and it's called Feelings Are, Are Okay, and it's a 10-step program. And the reason I've printed you copies today to take home is that um, the 10 steps, if you really want to help somebody who, who you, um, has gone through this hard time, maybe you have that teenager in your home and you, you're not quite sure what to do, there are 10 steps in this program that you can use not necessarily like let's, let's sit down one afternoon and go through 10 steps, but maybe get to know it and think, okay, I could, um, I could uh, uh, you know, see myself, maybe we're doing step one today, maybe, oh yeah, we're, we're working through step three or whatever. I, I'll just very quickly, because we, we don't have much more time, but I'll just very quickly go what these 10 steps actually mean, the, the first step is actually the first one, which is feelings are okay. And what this means, and Victor's um, really, really, um, he's illustrated this really well today when he said that men are not good at talking about how they feel, and, uh, and nor are kids. I remember um, we did this with, in one camp, um, it was about July, so the tsunami happened in December. So six, seven months later, um, we did in the camp, and it was mainly Muslim kids or Muslim people in the camp. And so in one of the groups, um, a group of uh, these, these girls uh, said to the, to the worker that was taking them through the book, she said, you're the first person that tell, is, tells us that we're allowed to cry. They'd been living in a camp. They'd lost their home, lost family members. They had nothing. And in actual fact, in, in, in the Muslim faith, it's actually, when something like that happens to you, it's considered to be lack of faith in Allah if you cry. You've got to accept the will of Allah and, and, um, and being careful uh, what I want to say, I don't want to criticize any group of people today, but um, I've seen this time and time again, and, and what happens if you can't cry, then you've got anger, and, and so there's a lot of outpouring of grief, but it's in a very negative way, simply because people don't feel they can cry, but let's face it, even as Christians, we've often heard that, don't cry, God, God's got it all in control, and you know, and sometimes it's, well, it's better to say it's okay to cry. And so we talk about that. It's okay to have feelings and it's okay to talk about those feelings. Really important <coughs> that we give our kids permission to express how they feel. Someone was talking to me just a couple of days ago about, about someone they know that is so angry at God because they, they've really suffered. A major thing has happened and they're angry at God. And they said, what should we do? And I said, well, why don't you say to them to tell God how angry you are? God's okay with that. He's strong enough to handle it. And there's been many times when I've sat in my counseling room 
and kids have, with, with my permission, have just expressed to God how angry they are at him or at themselves or at the doctor or at somebody else for what happened. And it's okay to do that. It's healthy to do that. And then the second step is to what we call education and reassurance. Uh, um, and it often um, kids struggle because we don't actually explain clearly to them what is happening or what has happened. You know, um, I remember when, when my son got cancer, we, all the doctor would tell us is that we were lucky because he, he had, um, you know, we'd have him for a few months, whereas other parents, you know, only, only had their kids for a few weeks after this diagnosis. But he wouldn't tell us anything about it. He wouldn't explain what, what it was. He, he had very poor people communication skills. And it left us, I mean, we had to do our own research, and in the end we actually had to force ourselves into the doc same doctor's room. said, we want to know the full story. It only confuses and upsets and makes the anxiety worse when people do not know what's happening. And sometimes we, we have to go into situations where, like families that have suffered a tragedy, we've got to actually be the ones to explain what is happening in a clear way so they understand. But then with reassurance that um, things are going to be okay. Yeah, yeah it's going to take a while perhaps, but they're going to be looked after, they're going to be safe. And, and uh, I, I think of some of the worst events that have happened in Australia recently, like the bushfires, where so many terrible, terrible things happened, yet there were so many positive things too. Like think of the thousands of fire, uh, firemen and, and, and volunteer workers that go out and risk their own lives. We live in such a blessed country and there's a lot of complaining goes on, but at least we've got a government that is prepared to, to fork out money and is prepared to, to put in resources even though we might not always be entirely satisfied with what they give us. We live in a blessed country. If you go over to Papua New Guinea, just a few three hours flight from here and see what, what they put up with when tragedy strikes them. They have nothing compared to us. We are such a blessed people. Um, so education, yes, then reassurance. Um, the third one is, is all about me, which is, you know, sometimes people are so overwhelmed with their grief and with their pain and with their anxiety, they sort of lose touch with who they are that they are a real person with friends. And again, Kylie has spoken about the fact that kids are relational and they're social and they need to be with each other. And they need to, as they're going, growing up through life, they're, they're discovering who they are, what their gifts are and so forth. And a lot of our kids have lost that. Um, and uh, and we, we need to talk a bit about themselves, if you like. Um, and then... Um, uh, the, the fourth step is, is how has this affected them? And you can see how we've used the simple feelings, faces, the mad, glad, sad, and bad faces to, to describe um, what their life was like before, what their life was like during, what their life is like now, what their life is going to be in the future. Sometimes when we did the, the kids from the tsunami, they just ticked the angry face or the sad face for all four groups which means they're locked into their trauma 
It's so overwhelming to them. They can't see anything what it was like before or after or in the future. Um, similar for the next page. Um, it, it, uh, it, that indicates, that would indicate to you that maybe this person needs more help. Um, uh, uh, maybe go and see your GP and remember that, that if somebody is struggling, the GP is the first port of call to, to look for the help that they may need. If they need some counselling or they may need to be referred to a psychologist or, or whatever, the GP is supposed to be able to equip to, to make those referrals. And uh, the, the step five is really saying to kids, there are, you know, it, you, you feel angry, you feel sad, you feel depressed. Um, how are you going to handle that? We all know the anger rules. It's okay to be angry, but don't hurt property, don't hurt yourself, don't hurt others. Do talk about it. And looking for strategy that, that they have something to do to handle it when they are really angry or really sad. Um, and the best options, and we like to think that kids have got at least four strategies, but the best options are actually the ones they choose themselves. And it might surprise you with the strategies that they come up with. And um, number six is where does it hurt? Often stress, anxiety, depression, it comes out in a physical way. Um, it, it may be through sort of like asthmatic type symptoms. It may be through aches and pains, maybe through nausea, maybe through headaches. It's probably one of the most likely. Um, uh, uh, um, and, and finding out if they have unusual pain in their body, um, yeah, get them to see a doctor. Um, there might be a medication they can have, but if it's got an emotional root, then it's got to be dealt with in that way. And uh, step seven is uh, where we're coming to more personal, where they're now admitting and confessing how they have been affected. Uh, step, again, in that step seven is how can you bring some form of closure? Some kids that, that Renee talked talked about, you know, maybe they've lost a loved one and they were not able to go to the funeral, so maybe they need to write a letter or, or, or make a, a comment. In, in other cases like abuse, they may even make that comment to their perpetrator. Um, the perpetrator may never see it, but there needs to be some form of, or it's helpful if there's some form of expression uh, to deal with their loss. And of course, step eight is the resilience one by helping, uh, helping someone. Uh, step nine is keeping themselves well, and we particularly put the COVID uh, ones in there. And finally, step nine is that they have a future. Um, as it says in Jeremiah, um, you know, God has a plan and a future and a destiny for all of us. I hope that this little booklet might be helpful to you, just so that you understand um, some of the steps, at least, that you might be uh, able to work through with someone, even with yourself, um, or work through with somebody. And although this is written specifically for children, the same steps apply um, to adults. Now, I'm going to ask you now to take the envelope that you have. And we're, we're coming to a, 
I just want to take a couple of minutes to, to, um, to really come before the Lord. Because I'm aware that, and I know this is on Renee's heart, that there are people that are struggling. Please don't open it yet. <laughs> um, but there are people that are struggling. Some of you are struggling. Um, maybe it's just all got too much for you. And I don't know about you, but it's very hard to even read the newspaper these days. The gangland shootings is another one that we're all, it just seems to be every day. Every day there's news about that. And I want you just to think, come before the Lord today. And I'm going to ask um, James, are you still there? Yeah, if you could play that last song for us. Um, we're going to play a song. I want you to, in a prayerful way, just put it before God, what is on your heart in terms of worry and care and concern. It might be even for someone that you love. And pray in your own, wherever you are. And then when you're ready, when you've prayed your prayer, I want you simply to open your envelope and just have a look at what is there. And just think about it, meditate it, see what you see in it, and allow God to minister by his Holy Spirit to you. Okay? So, playing the song as you pray, you're ready. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power Your name is healing Your name
Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus on the mountain. David Goodwin. Thank you very much. Uh, we're just going to move into some Q&A time, so we're going to ask our panelists, Carly, Vic, and Dr. David to come up. If you have any questions that you would like to ask, now is the time. Uh, there is a roaming mic somewhere. Uh, somebody who has better knees than me can take this around if you... Um, thank you. So, we're now going to open our time session now for some Q&A. Any questions that you may have, please raise your hand and Reverend Pete will come around with the mic and yeah, go from there. And I've got brownies and stuff later. <laughs> so you don't get a brownie unless you have a question. No, just joking. <laughs> All right. 
anybody. Oh, Russell. Not, not so much a question as a, an observation. It was something that either Victor said or you said, Renee. And just last night I was hearing a message from someone um, which clarified the details of something that did actually happen evidently and it relates to smiling to people or being pleasant to people, strangers in the street. And what it clarified was the exact location of where this actually happened, the fact that it did happen and it had the exact location. San Francisco, there was a man um, who walked from, he was living by himself and he walked to the Golden Gate Bridge and threw himself off and killed himself. They found in his pocket later a note saying that I live in such and such a place, I'm going to walk the Golden Gate Bridge. If anyone smiles to me along the way, I'm not going to kill myself. But if, any, if nobody uh, smiles at me, well, I'm going to kill myself because he saw no purpose to life. And he, he did. So, you know, just a smile to a stranger, you never know what it might do. Thank you, Russell. That's very true. Uh, I, I believe that wholeheartedly because you never know. Everybody has their own story and everybody's struggling with something. So, um, you know, you never know how you change somebody's life just by smiling or complimenting them. I sometimes find people, see people on the street and there was this woman, she had this beautiful blue sweater. And I didn't know her from, you know, Sarah Jane or Betty Jane. I just walked up to her and I said, oh my goodness, what a beautiful color. You look absolutely gorgeous. And she just smiled and it just, I think just, she just, her little step, she got a little pep in her step and it felt really, really good. And and I was being sincere. I don't give compliments unless they're sincere, believe me. Um, I think, you know, why lie to people? Uh, just be honest with people and you can find something in everybody. There's something wonderful in everybody. So thank you, Russell, for making that comment. And if I could just add something to what Russell said, is that we often think that when people are in distress, they need a professional counsellor mm. or a psychologist, whatever. But a, 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 a counsellor can only give an hour a week or an hour every fortnight or whatever. What is actually more important, and I'm not discounting the need for the counselling, but what is more important is just somebody who's going to be their friend. Somebody who's going to be there and put the hours in and to support them. So don't ever think that you're not needed just because you're not a professional counsellor. Mm -hmm. uh, you support workers. Every counsellor will say it's the support that that person has that's going to actually make the difference. So some, even some of the things that have been shared today about being a good listener and, and being, you know, putting in the time, that's more important even than what a counsellor can offer. Yeah. That's so good. So good. Maureen. Just, um, can you hear? Okay. Just following up on Lenae, saying something nice to someone, on, on learning, because with COVID, not getting down escalate as much, I'm very nervous. So I'm starting out learning. And I said to this lady, 
I was waiting to go and I said, I'm a bit frightened. She said, let me help you. And she stood in front and I was hesitant and I said later, thank you, you're wonderful. And she looked at me as if to say, really? <laughs> so, you know, it's just so nice to yeah. say that, helping me down the escalator. Mm. Sarah. Sarah? Maybe the battery died? Was it? Yeah, I can repeat your question for you if you want to say it. Richard has a question. Do we have, do we need batteries? Oh, we got it. I've got a question that I don't know an answer to and, and maybe you might. I think my understanding is, you know, it's, it's still very early days in seeing what's playing out. So um, I haven't experienced any new programs coming into the schools yet, but I, there is certainly talk that statistics are showing that, that children are gonna, going to really need help. So, you know, we pray it's coming. Um, yeah, but I think it's early days to know what is actually needed and the long-term effects. Um, yeah, um, at the moment I'm just seeing that, that wellbeing program that I was talking a little bit about that's been there a long time and it's still just being pushed and I just don't think that that's worked and we're not, you know, we're not uh, trying anything new really in schools. The same thing I was taught as a teacher 20 years ago, I'm still being asked to implement in my classroom now and I think times have changed so you know my prayer is scripture in schools is still so very important and I'm so pleased that it's just in the last few months come back into schools so at least you know we have those scripture teachers faithfully teaching our children and able to reach out uh, and look teachers are certainly doing their absolute best to deal with 
problems that are coming up. Uh, and and I, I think something that's come up is we have, as teachers, we're dealing with the family situation as well. So over the online learning, we were able to discover that families had real problems and we were sometimes seeing that on Zoom or hearing about that or much more interaction. But, I mean, I've started a new school last year and I still haven't met the parents of most of my children personally. I've met them on Zoom, but I haven't met them face to face. So there's not those wonderful conversations at the end of the day to say, you know, how's stuff going at home? Are you okay? So teachers, we are having more programs where we're um, learning how to help families at home as well as the student at school. Yeah. Somebody else? And that's a huge um, opportunity for the mm. church mm. That, that we should be thinking about how can we be training families. Mm. Um, if families are struggling, then the children are going to struggle. But we can be equipping families. You know, every negative there is an opportunity for the church, I believe. Um, so it's something to really, yeah, think about. Um, I'm having, we talk about, I, I love the fact that you've given us that feelings are okay. Um, what I find and what I observe at work and here at church is the fact that some of my friends who are parents, they're struggling, they're struggling to encourage their kids to come to church, where they used to come to church and since after co since COVID, it's kind of like the kids are getting more involved in, in, in into the the you know social media and things like that. And our we're struggling to keep young people in our churches. How do we I guess there's no golden answer to it because I think all the churches are struggling. But it's, we just see that there's either, you know, some young adults and seniors and, and then the youth and the churches are just, it's just dwindling. And it's, I think it's gotten worse since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So my friends are struggling. I hear them say all the time, I don't know how to, you know, what can I do? We've, we've talked about it, we've taken phones away, we've done all these things. Um, but it's nothing's working. Yeah, churches have, uh, since the pandemic, as, as, as most churches have taken average, we're getting 67% of our people back to church now. So we've lost a third, basically. And this is um, pretty, uh, I've only just done simple research. It's not. Um, it's not, uh, it, but that, that would be pretty accurate. Um, and I think part of it is the parents and that the parents are so used to going online that they quite enjoy it and they're not giving any thought to their kids. Maybe they as older people can survive as a Christian, but kids, as, as Kylie has said, I mean, we're, kids are relational. Kids need to socialise. They need to have face-to-face -face with their youth leader or their kids' ministry leader. They need that face-to-face. -face. They need that face-to-face -face with their Christian friends. And I think we need to teach our parents that it's okay for you, but you will definitely lose your kids to the faith 
if they're not meeting regularly with Christian friends mm. because there are other friends in the world that are going to lead them down the pathway that they go, which is not Christian. And so we need to really tell parents, look, for the sake of your kids, you need to get back. Um, the second thing is, I think as churches, we need to be proactive. I have come across so many churches that are saying exactly what you say, but they're doing nothing about it. I say be proactive. Um, get with your kids' ministry leaders, your youth leaders, and say, what can we do? Okay, let's have a welcome back from COVID party at the church, and we'll buy a gift for every kid that's present, you know, so that we welcome them back and we make a big thing of it. Let's talk to the parents about our safety measures so that parents uh, know that we take it seriously, that yes, we're going to do the sanitizing thing and we're going to, we're going to um, do what we need to do. We know that some of those things are not so important now, um, but we've got to be seen to do it so the parents can see that we're serious about it and the parents will feel it's safe and it's okay to, um, to send their kids and their young people back to church. But I think we need to sit down as a church, be proactive and say, what can we do? Um, let's just not sit back and hope it all turns out because it won't. Maria? Thank you, Maria. It's well said. I think, you can know? I just add too, I yeah. think something that we can all do and that has um, significantly changed my children's lives is be a mentor to somebody. 
uh, either in your church or your family. Just choose to find a young person and take them out for a milkshake once a week. You know, that's changed all of my children's lives and my children don't get to choose whether they go to church. They're minister's kids, so they have to. Uh, but it's, it's changed their lives that our old church and similarly here, people occasionally will ring one of them and say, I'll meet you for a milkshake, I'll meet you at the beach. For adults, adult Christians to invest in their lives makes the world of difference, even if there's not a whole lot of youth around at the time. And we can all do that. doesn't matter what age we are, we can all do that. So, you know, I'm often praying who God can provide that I could do that for. That's helped my children. Yeah. I know that sometimes after church we have the few little ones that are running around. Um, it would be nice to see more of the adults in the church to actually go and say hey to that child um, because we're so into doing our act, you know, morning tea after church and how many of us actually say anything to the little ones. Uh, so we can start there, Maria. Yeah, simple things. But, um, you know, with all it's said and done, we're all a work in progress. So some people know that and some people are just getting it. So as long as we do what we're told, we don't, I guess we just can't focus on what other people are doing. Just make sure that you're doing it yourself. Yes, that's right. Yeah? Yeah. Any other questions for our panel? Um. <laughs> well, that's all right. Observations, questions, comments, it's all good. It's all good. Sarah. Uh, how do you get old people off social media? <laughs> I think we are learning, um, we have learnt a lot since social media came out and so I see that young families now are putting in good measures way back when they're four and five <laughs> rather than putting those measures in at 18 when the problem's already there. So I, I do think that the next generation or the next group of young people will have different habits to these ones that uh, we, you know, we all learnt along the way and us parents... I didn't know when to give our children phones or what, de what was going to be detrimental, but I think there are better pathways now that children... Yeah, mm. I think that's going to be good. Yeah, I... I
Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Uh, one, a t one more question, yes? Yeah, it's called psychosomatic. So it's, um, it, we know that there are often physical reasons why you, you feel pain, but there are also these emotional reasons. And it used to be that the doctors would say to a patient, oh, it's just in your head. In other words, it was sort of like you're imagining it. But we now know that that's not true. That pain is just as real, but more difficult to treat because you've got to deal with the stress. Like, like for example, you, you may have a, um, you, you may be an asthmatic, and that could be a physical reason for that. But when you come under stress, the asthma gets worse. Um, and, and so uh, the problem, the real problem, is actually the stress. Deal with the stress, and the asthma will disappear. Um, when we asked kids in Sri Lanka, going back to that tsunami uh, project, um, you know, it was headaches was the big thing, uh, or feeling sick in their stomach, but it could also be diarrhea and vomiting. It, it, it could be um, heart palpitations or heart going too fast um, as a result of emotional stress. So, yes, look, if people have got these persistent... Um, uh, physical problems, go and see the doctor, get it checked out, but it could also be emotional stress. And these days, of course, doctors look at that as a, a priority, not just as a, you know, the end thing. Yeah. Psychosomatic. Somatic means physical. Psycho is like your emotions and in your head, yeah. Great. Um, it's getting rather late. We want to move on. But... Uh, I'm going to ask the three panelists, um, if you know somebody, if, for instance, how would you, how would you sum up? Um, somebody, what would you say to somebody who you know is struggling? Or if somebody, if they came to you, you're in, for instance, Carly, in your school, a, a, maybe a parent. You know, uh, what would be your motivating words to them to encourage them to uh, for help with their child? Um, I think that um, I mean I'd be praying, even though I'm not allowed to say anything. <laughs> but I'd be praying. I pray over all of my students, um, even though. I'm not allowed to. Um, so I'd be praying straight away that the Lord would give me words to say. Um, yeah, I think that that listening, 
You know, you, you might be the only person that, as we've said, that would listen to someone in their day. So just having time and, and listening skills are actually, you know, giving eye contact and looking like you're interested. I'm very, very good at listening to somebody while I'm doing this. Uh, so, you know, really attentive in my listening, I think. Uh, yeah, and, and just encouraging them to, do they have someone in their life that is close? I'm hoping as a teacher I'm not the closest person in their life to help them out. But, uh, yeah, good listening skills, I suppose. Great, thank you. Vic, what would you tell a gentleman or a friend, a mate of yours, if uh, you knew that he was struggling but he was having a hard time expressing himself? What would, how would you encourage him? What would you say to him? And especially if he didn't know the Lord. People generally talk about the things that trouble them. A little bit louder, Vic. People generally talk about things that trouble them the most. So, if someone's having mm. a problem, that's what they'll start to talk about. So, mm. again, listening, and you can tap into, you know, maybe where you can direct them. Um, you know, if they're talking about a bad marriage or, you know, work problems, um, you know, and I suppose listening. Generally, people will talk about the things that most trouble them, um, and yeah, I suppose prayer as well. Mm. Um, it's, it's always good to offer to pray. Very few mm. people knock back prayer. Mm. Um, mm. But you know, if you know the problem, you can maybe direct them to a counsellor or mm. that sort of thing. Mm. And Dr. David, mm. what would be well, some? Well, I'm just going to say the same thing. Um, it's attentive listening mm. um, without judgment. You see, if your child comes home from school and says, I was bullied today at school, what's the first thing you would say? Well, why didn't you tell the teacher? And that's judgmental. Or if a child discloses they've been abused, the, the first question is asked, well, well why did you take so long to tell us? And what that does is it actually says to the kid, you are responsible. Maybe you can discuss going to the teacher later on, but they don't need that. You know, if your 16-year-old girl comes home and says there was trouble at school, the first thing mum says is, well, I hope you were not involved. No wonder our 16-year-old daughters don't talk to us because we judge them. What we should do is actually stop what we're doing Sit down so you're at their level and say, do you want to tell me more about it? You know, and learn the art of just little probing questions, you know? Like they tell you something, but they don't tell you the whole story. Say, could you tell me a bit more about that? And, and just learn the art of listening. Um, absolutely. And that actually does something in our brain. When, when people listen to us, uh, it takes that thought from that most primitive part of our brain where we tend to fight or, you know, the flight, fight or freeze thing, and it takes us to this part of the brain that actually we look at things more logically and sensibly and we can see things as an adult sees them uh, just by being listened to. Um, so, yeah, listen. Yeah, it's the best thing. Uh, as I also said, uh, if somebody is really suffering and, and you feel you can't, they need more help, visit the GP. That's usually the first port of call. 
Um, yeah. Yes, thank you guys so much. Uh, on your program, you have uh, inside that program, there are numbers you can call and if you're uh, looking for help, if you need help, uh, there's a different emergency numbers and different organizations there inside the program. Uh, so I want to encourage you this evening. But before we go, I just want to ask our minister over there. And it's funny because Peter goes out and he has his little sign and he has free, uh, is it a prayer, free prayer? And, and people will come and sometimes people sit there and he tells a story and then he's always saying how people say, well, there must be nothing. Or what, how is it? It must cost them something or... Yeah, I had a guy who <laughs> could not believe that it was for free and as soon as I insisted it was for free and he stormed off saying it must be a scam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's not a scam. Prayer is always free and we're going to gauge in it now, yeah? But before we do, can I just yeah. uh, say thank you to our panelists, thank you to Renee and for Lisa, our team, who organised this evening. So thank you so much. And Raymond Terrace. Uh, community church. All the guys have come down from Raymond Terrace. Yes. Yeah, huge thank you to you guys yes. for leading us in yes. worship Amen. this evening. Thank you so much. Let's pray. A loving and gracious God, we pray that we might take some of these lessons away and apply them in our lives this coming week. We pray that you might be using us to be your agents of healing using us to be your agents of reconciliation, using us to be your agents to bring about joy and peace in this world this coming week. Father, use us wherever you may place us to be your hands and your feet, to be your voice, bringing about the abundant life that Jesus came to bring each and every one of us. In his name we pray. The people said... Amen. I mean, I believe we've got some tea and coffee and some brownies and to some finish brownies off. And back there. Fantastic. And, uh, yeah. Go on and enjoy, and uh, oh, it's in the red fridge. <laughs> so help yourselves. I think the urn is probably on. Um, Oh, and to the people at home who are watching, thank you so much. Uh, we love you. God bless you. And good night. I didn't know what he was saying.